welcome to Warwick Podcast. I'm Sean Owen and I'm here today with Vadim John, a TV and film producer and also former history student at Warwick University. We're here in London to talk about Vadim's career and um, TV and film productions and also what you're going to be doing for the future. So first, Vadim, um, you originally started by studying history at the University of Warwick. How did you move from being a budding historian to a very successful TV and film producer? People often ask me, well, what relevance is a history degree to a career as a film director? And I, and I tell them, well, you might not think there are any connections at all, but I, I think my time at university wasn't just about what I studied academically. It was also about what the university had to offer outside of the curriculum. And I'm not talking about the, you know, the number of bars on campus. I'm talking about um, the fact that we were able to start the, the university's, well, the student union's first student television station called Unitel, where we used to make magazine programmes in the university's television studio and then broadcast those on the television screens in the students' union once a month. And I learned a hell of a lot about, you know, programme making and television both and films too um, by doing those productions. So it was the Students' Union and the university that provided the opportunity for us to be able to both create the television station but also to make films for the society. The other thing, of course, was that it was really only at Warwick that I really first started to watch movies on the big screen on a regular basis because I think then it was probably £1.50 a time and the film society used to show them in the lecture theatres over in the science blocks. And uh, I saw a lot of the, the, the films that were formative in making me decide that it was the big screen that I wanted pre- predominantly to work on. So I remember seeing The Blues Brothers, Blade Runner, when it was very first released, uh, Gandhi, Chariots of Fire, I think I saw. Um, it was a very cheap way of watching movies on the big screen, and it was only by being at Warwick that I could have done that, really. Um, Warwick was also where I, I met a, a large number of the people that I still work with now. So it's a very good place to kind of learn how to work in teams collaboratively, which is what filmmaking is all about. And as far as history is concerned, I think it's actually become most relevant in my career, actually in, in, in the recent past. I mean, I'm actually literally just working on editing down a script about um, Robert Burns, the Scottish poet. And a lot of the adaptation of Burns's life uh, involves the skills that I learned as a history student. You know, it's about marshalling the facts, you know, being able to get the information and decide which parts of his life will actually work to tell a story. And I always remember that my favourite history writers were often the ones from the kind of 1930s and 40s. I remember there was a book that we read which was all about the siege of Constantinople. And it was, I think, at that period, basically in the 30s, historians wrote in a very kind of, if you like, narrative style. And reading those books was almost like reading a novel. Not, not that they weren't rigorous, but that in that era, and all the historians that I love the most seem to write in that kind of 1930s, late 20s, early 30s kind of period where actually the history they wrote was was like reading a novel. So uh, it was Runciman, I think, was the name of the guy, and he wrote this definitive history of the, the, the siege of Constantinople. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, people don't write history books like that anymore, you know. But this is a story that you wanted to, you know, it had a beginning, a middle and an end and characters. And interestingly, the, the, the book that I actually like the most about Robert Burns is in exactly that style uh, by somebody called Carswell. So, I, you know, I've had to go back to my history books, you know, in the development of this script about this historical figure from the end of the 18th century. So it, even in, to my surprise in a way, the kind of specific skills of studying history, which I learned at Warwick, uh, you know, are being useful even now. To talk about your back catalogue of work, because you've got obviously um, quite a lot under your belt, not to mention a lot of awards under your belt as well, and they cover quite a wide range of genres. You know, you've done comedy, romance, horror. How do you choose which projects to work on? I was trying to forget that I'd made a horror film. (laughs) It was that bad. Um, I think 
I'm increasingly able to choose the subject matters and the stories that I want to tell. And I think perhaps because I've got a wide number of interests, it means that you know, if I find a story that I'd like to tell, I actually don't mind which medium it's in either. Um, then I, that's what will lead me to want to make the film. I'm not somebody really who's led by trying to make bigger and bigger films with bigger and bigger and budgets that get bigger and bigger box office necessarily. So that, what that means is that, you know, for example, whilst I'm developing you know, a dramatic f- movie about Robert Burns, I'm actually finishing editing a documentary for the cinema about three Black Panthers who have been in solitary confinement in a prison in Louisiana for 36 years for a crime they didn't commit. So those couldn't be more different than Terry Pratchett Discworld novels. But, you know, one of my dream things, one of the things I wanted to do before I died was to adapt and ideally be the first person to adapt Discworld novels for the screen. And so that's a dream come true, led purely by the fact that I love the Discworld book so much. Which leads me on to my next question. Um, uh, Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels have got such a huge fan base. Did you find it challenging? There's a lot of pressure to get the adaptation right. I remember when I sat down, first of all, to start adapting Terry Pratchett's Hogfather, thinking, oh dear, I have a national icon in my hand, and how the hell can I hope to do justice to Britain's biggest-selling adult author? And, you know, I, I, th- I think it helps that I'm a fan. And that I loved the books before I actually started to make the movies. And uh, yes, it was with trepidation. And it was with real trepidation. I remember the day on which we sent the first draft that I was happy with to Terry and waited to hear his response. I remember the huge kind of sigh of relief when his agent rang up and said, well, he's read it. And he actually wants you to go down and meet him and, and go over the script. And I, and I thought, oh, no. And he said, this is fantastic. He's never asked anybody to do that before. Normally he just reads it and says, very good, let him get on with it, because he hates it so much. He knows that if he gets involved in any kind of dialogue with the people, he'll just take it off their hands and want to rewrite it himself. And he said to me, I really like it. It's largely because it's mainly my own words, which was true, because, you know, they were mainly his own words, but that's what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be really faithful to the books. There seems to me to be no point adapting a book that you love and then turning it into something that isn't like the original book. So how did you go about casting the right actors for the characters? Uh, was Terry Pratchett involved in that decision-making process as well? We work very closely with Terry, and we run all the major casting by him. And he's, I have to say, been utterly delighted with the casting. He, you know, gone on record and said, you know, he can't see anybody else now as, for example, the actor um, who plays Nobby Nobs in Hogfather can't see anybody else as Susan other than Michelle who plays Michelle Dockery who plays Susan I think for me there were two moments where I thought okay I think I'm going to be alright you know having allowed you know these national treasures to be put into my hand so that the moments that I really knew I was okay were when during that first script meeting he said oh this is a good line is it one of yours or one of mine? And I said, well, it's actually, it's one of mine. He said, oh, well, I, I'd have been proud to if that had been one of mine. And I thought, well, oh, gosh, that really is, that really is something. And I, I do think now, after doing two of them, that I really feel like I have his voice in my head. So actually, even when I'm having to create a new scene, you know, I hope and feel that, that kind of understand his voice so that it's close enough that with, with his, his notes that just finesse and tweak them even, you know, to perfection, that, that I'm getting reasonably close. And then I suppose the last thing is that, and I take, you know, this is the thing I suppose I'm, I'm happiest about, is that he constantly has said in public, the thing is, Vadim gets it. And I think in the past, most people who've tried to do it have not got it. So it's my own fault for being a Discworld fan. <laughs> so you've created a definitive version. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they're definitive. I think what makes me happy is that I think Terry and, and large numbers of the fans really feel that they're faithful to the books. Mm. 
And given, you know, that we love the books and that they are national treasures, that, you know, that, that's all I could hope for. Warwick University, as you mentioned earlier, currently has a very active film and TV department and the university holds annual uh, Warwick shootout events. And this is a fantastic competition where the students are asked to create a short film in 24 hours. They've got to film it and edit it and present it. And, and these are really very popular. Um, so what would your advice be for any budding filmmakers and producers? Um, I, I judged the Warwick shootout a couple of years ago and uh, really enjoyed it. It was a great day to see the ingenuity and actually the extraordinary kind of production standard, really, given how short a time those films are made in. And, and, and what advice do I have? I suppose it's that there's nothing now to stop people making films other than your own desire, energy um, and time, really. You know, you can get a group of friends together. You can borrow, you know, a mini DV camcorder from somewhere because you must know somebody who has one. And there must be somebody who has a, you know, a computer of some kind for a couple of hundred pounds you can get a professional editing program and you can actually shoot a movie you can shoot a film that you could actually blow up to the big screen in fact if you if you make the right kind of movie and so I, I remember the struggle it was to persuade the union treasurer to give us I think couple of thousand pounds to buy a really basic in now technology's terms portable vhs camcorder and and recorder and we were making programs on the equivalent of i suppose toilet paper <laughs> in technological terms you know and i remember what a struggle it was just to get your hands on equipment and editing was impossible you know you just couldn't edit anywhere without spending a lot of money the cost of technology has gone through the floor anybody can get a hold of it so that the only thing limiting you really is your own imagination and your own ideas and it's all about ideas because the technology is accessible now have ideas and make them and see what happens because in the end you only learn by doing it yourself and making your own mistakes so get a camera get some friends who want to be actors write a script if you can't write a script get someone to write a script that you know and just go and do it with your friends and see what happens and see what works and see what doesn't and teach yourself because in the end even if you go to film school that's what you do Oh, there's a masterclass in uh, film shooting there. Um, so what are your plans for the future? What, what's next? Well, I'm editing this documentary, which is called A Cruel and Unusual Punishment, which um, we're going to submit to the Sundance Film Festival in a couple of weeks. So hopefully they'll take a film, which would then hopefully do well and then get picked up for a release in America. Here it will be both in cinemas and on UK TV, UK TV history. Um, so that's I'm concentrating really on getting the editing finished on that. And then... Next year, there'll be another Terry Pratchett adaptation for Sky, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to finance the Robert Burns film, finally, Gerard Butler playing Burns, to shoot in the 250th anniversary of his birth. And there'll be a few commercials thrown in in the meantime. Excellent. Well, it all sounds very exciting. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.